Hi, welcome to the Fast Life with Diabetes podcast. My name is Lucy Fisher. On this podcast, we'll discuss everything related to intermittent fasting and type 1 and type 2 diabetes. We'll share tips and tricks and we'll reveal some of the challenges that we've all faced as we go through this journey. We'll also have some fascinating guests that will share their stories. Thanks so much for joining. It's going to be a great show. Also, before we get started, I just want to remind you that I am not a doctor. Before beginning an intermittent fasting protocol or making changes to your medication, I highly recommend that you speak to your doctor. Hi everyone, thanks for joining today. Today we have on Ginger Vieira, and she was on the podcast on July 13th, 2022. That episode will be linked up in the show notes. When she was on last time, we talked quite a bit about fasting and exercise. Ginger has type 1 diabetes. She's had it for the last 25 years, and she is a well-known writer in the diabetes space. She's published many articles about a variety of different topics that are related to diabetes. She also has five books related to diabetes, and she has a new one coming out in March about diabetes and exercise, which I think is something that is very much needed in the space, and I'm really glad she wrote the book. I can't wait to read it myself. So check it out when it comes out. All the places you can find Ginger will be linked in the show notes. On today's episode, we talk about using metformin and Ozempic to help manage type 1 diabetes, specifically improving insulin sensitivity within type 1. Due to Ginger's article that she wrote, which will be linked in the show notes about her experiences with metformin, I also tried metformin and have been on it for a little over a month and we talk about my experiences as well and just some of the reasons why she has added Ozempic in addition to metformin to her daily routine. It's extremely informative. Ginger has done a lot of research on this subject and I think you're going to get a lot out of listening to the episode. I really hope you enjoy it. Hi Ginger, it's so good to see you again. Thanks for having me back, Lucy. Yeah, the last time we spoke was in the summer of 2022, and in that last discussion, we talked a lot about fasting and exercise because, you know, you are a power lifter. Obviously, you're very well versed about diabetes and exercise and fasting and exercise, so that was a great conversation. I'll link it in the show notes for people that are interested. Before we dive into today's topic, which I think will take pretty much the full time because there's a lot of nuance with this, and that's how you've been using metformin. Uh, and then um, maybe some other additional type two medications for treating your type one. Um, But before I get into that, for people that maybe haven't listened to that summer episode, maybe you can just give a very quick background about yourself and then we'll dive into the topic. Sure. Uh, I've lived with type one diabetes since I was 13. So that was about 25 years ago. And I also have celiac disease, which was diagnosed in my teens, I developed fibromyalgia while I was powerlifting. I truly believe that the intense stress of my powerlifting training, I got super strong really fast. And I believe that it triggered fibromyalgia, which affects me in that um, I can get really exhausted really easily by, I've figured out that it's often any exercise that produces a lot of lactic acid, which is weightlifting, right? Um, But even hiking up a mountain. Um, So it took me years to rebuild my tolerance for exercise again. And I can lift weights, but I lift very light weights and I do very little. I do a lot more cardio. I recently started karate. Um, I can still have a lot of fun physically. I just have a lot of limits that I'm always keeping in mind. I also have a kind of lazy thyroid, hypothyroid, and a funny condition called POTS. Um, postural something, tachycardia syndrome. I get dizzy when I stand up. Sometimes my vision goes white for a minute. And I have been writing about diabetes for about 15 years. I've written a handful of books that you can find on Amazon. I'm very passionate about helping people learn how to exercise with type one, how to um, create a healthy relationship with food. So you're not constantly in these extreme diet yo-yos and feeling bad because you wanted to eat an apple or a piece of chocolate. And I'll stop there. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Just to set a baseline for everybody before we get into metformin, 
Are you still on MDI with Novolog and Lantus? Yes. So I did use a pump for many years back in the day, but I really don't like using an insulin pump now. It gives me a lot of anxiety. I don't want it in my skin. I don't, I just want to be free. <laughs> so I have a CGM um, and I take Lantus for my background insulin needs. And then I use Novolog and Afreza insulin, inhaled insulin uh, for my meals and corrections. Great. Okay. So now that we've established that, and when we were wrapping up uh, last time after we had stopped recording, you told me that you were trying out metformin. And I was surprised by that because I thought metformin is only for type two diabetes, but as it turns out, you can use it for type one with good results. And you wrote a really very comprehensive article about your experiences using metformin, which will be linked in the show notes for anybody that's interested but maybe before we talk about what happened yeah. while you're on metformin, maybe you can just tell me about why, why you even had that idea to yeah. try it. So this, I even learned more about this recently, um, like in the last month. So what a lot of people with type one are never told. And by a lot, I really mean pretty much anybody. Um, you will not learn this at the doctor's office is that people with type one also don't produce five other hormones that are critical to managing your insulin needs, how much sugar your liver produces all day long, your appetite, um, your feeling full when you're eating, like signaling to your brain that your belly is full, feeling satisfied. And we're only given one tool out of, to replace one of the six hormones that we don't produce as people with type one, because your immune system as a type one is attacking the islet cells. And you might've heard that, oh, the beta cells produce insulin, but there's the beta cells and the alpha cells within the islet cells. And both the beta and, and alpha cells produce a whole bunch of things. And so we're actually not, it's not that we produce zero of those other things, but we it's just dysfunctional. We are not producing normal amounts of these other hormones. Um, and the one that I had been aware of that led me to saying, gosh, darn it, I deserve something to help compensate for this. And, you know, we all deserve something to help compensate for our lack of amylin, which is one of the hormones that the alpha cells produce. And amylin plays a big role in suppressing how much sugar your liver produces and signaling to your brain that you're full and that you, you know, and so many people with type one will tell you that they just don't feel full, even though they just ate or they're just constantly, I know that, and I didn't know this was why for a long time, but that I had gotten really good at just constantly ignoring this feeling of hunger all day in order to manage my weight, right? Not that I wasn't eating, but I would eat and be like, well, I still feel hungry. I'm still thinking about food, but I know I ate, I'm going to ignore it. Right. And that takes a lot of, it's tiring and it's for a really good reason. And also it's really easy to gain weight as a person with type one. And part of that is because our liver is producing too much glucose because we're not producing these hormones that calm that down. Like when you eat, a non-diabetic, their liver will stop producing glucose because they just ate. They don't need backup fuel, right? We still are producing glucose on top of the meal that we just ate. So we need even more insulin than we would if we didn't have diabetes. And insulin, of course, is vital and we all need it to stay alive, but too much of it can lead to really easy weight gain. And so it makes it even harder for people with type one to lose weight, especially if you already have, you know, there's certainly um, in the whole ecto endomorph body types, there's certainly people with type one who are very thin and it's their body type just promotes that for a, whatever genetic reasons that they were born with. But if you were not already blessed with that very lean body type, it can be really hard to manage your weight as a type one. And it, it can take a lot of discipline and restriction and just work. So that's my rant on why we deserve more tools than just insulin to help us manage our insulin doses, our blood sugars. Oh, there's another thing. Okay. So these hormones also slow down the digestion of the food you eat. 
to help manage post-meal blood sugars and prevent spikes. So we're all being shamed all the time by healthcare professionals for our post-meal blood sugars, right? And in reality, we haven't been given all the tools that we need in order to actually manage that properly. It's kind of not fair, right? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So when you, did you bring this up to your doctor and their doctor recommended metformin or did you come to the, your doctor with no, the possible I had solution? heard from, I had learned, you know, I have a lot of friends with type one and I knew a couple who were taking metformin to manage insulin resistance. And I was dealing with my, it was like, all of a sudden my Lantus dose just kept wanting to go up. I just kept finding that I was, and then I'd increase it by a unit and I'm on a low amount of insulin to begin with, cause I'm very active and I try to eat a mostly whole foods diet, blah, blah, blah. Right. And so it didn't make sense to me that my insulin needs and my blood sugars were rising because nothing else in my life had changed. I wasn't, nothing had changed. Right. And I would increase my Lantus by a unit. My blood sugars would come back down to my target range. Like, let's say, you know, I was just noticing that I was trending a little higher, like 150 between meals when it's like, what the heck, you know? And, and I was pretty habitual about what I eat on, you know, and fasting as well, intermittent fasting. And then I'd gain a pound with that increase in my Lantus dose. And it just kept, it was like, I went from using 10 to 11 units of Lantus to needing like 16 and being at the higher end of a weight that I feel is appropriate and like logical considering my lifestyle habits. You know, it's like, I am so active. It doesn't make sense why I'm struggling to keep my weight down. Yeah, that makes sense. So you knew a couple of people that were on metformin and then you proposed this. So I went to my to doctor yep. and mm-hmm. I complained and I said, I don't produce any amylin. This isn't fair. I want to try metformin. I actually asked him first to for a Ozempic semaglutide, but he wouldn't do it because I was going to a primary care doctor and um, that was just really foreign to him because he doesn't manage a lot of type ones. So he was willing to write a script for metformin because he knew it was cheap and it would be relatively safe to add. Um, and he was comfortable with it. Okay. Got it. And then, so you started on the, the starter dose of 500 milligrams, right? And then you titrated yeah. up to a thousand over time. Is that right? Or are you at a higher yeah, dose now? I started on, um, this was maybe back in like June, I want to say, or maybe May of last year. And um, right away, what I noticed, well, I definitely noticed like a quick need in, I could decrease my Lantus dose back a little bit. And then I increased my dose to a thousand milligrams and I could decrease my Lantus dose back a little more. So I got back to that 10, 11 units that I felt was logical, you know, and um then another thing that had been frustrating me is my dawn phenomenon had been even more dramatic lately than before. It was like, if I didn't get up at 6 a.m. and immediately get a unit of insulin in me, I would spike a hundred points. And it was really frustrating and annoying. And so I started taking the metformin and because you can, metformin is, you take it every day. And I could, if I was taking it in the morning, like they wanted me to, they prescribed it as though I'm a type two. So they say, take it with your meal. Right. So I did that, but I could tell that it was hitting my blood sugar the most at like two in the afternoon. And I was having the most sensitivity to insulin at two in the afternoon, which was annoying because that's also like when I tend to be active and it just was like too unpredictable. I did. And what I really wanted was to see if I could suppress down phenomenon um, liver glucose in the morning. So I ended up experimenting because I'm not very good at listening to doctors <laughs> and taking my whole thousand milligram dose right before bed. And what it did successfully for many months was totally suppress my dawn phenomenon rise in the morning, not a hundred percent suppression, but hugely reduced it to the point where I could manage it more easily by waking up, taking a teeny dose. And by teeny, I mean like I take a syringe, I stick it in a pen of no blog and I draw out like a half unit eyeballing it. Right. Um, and sometimes I'll do like a quarter unit depending on where I woke up at. 
Yeah. So, so you really need almost yeah. nothing for, well, you'll, I guess you'll finish telling me the story because it sounds like it didn't have the same effect longer term in terms of keeping Actually, your dog. I felt that it was wearing off and I have read that about metformin. Um, people kind of have to just keep increasing the dose. I was very lucky um, to not have the major side effects that a lot of people experience on metformin. The stomach, uh, metformin is one of the it has the lowest adherence rate, which means patients stop taking it. Um, and it's like one of the drugs that has the lowest adherence rate because it can cause a lot of diarrhea and gas. And like, I, I've been writing about diabetes for so many years. I have written about metformin many times for different websites and interviewed people. So I was actually scared to start it because I had a road trip coming up with my kids and I put off starting the medication for two weeks because I did not want to be in the car if I was going to potentially have diarrhea for two weeks because they say just endure like the first month or two. I'm not sorry, first couple weeks to a month. And then those side effects should wear off. I did not experience really any of that. I had like maybe a week of going to the bathroom a little more often, but it was certainly nothing to write home about. I, I was the same. I, I started on 500 and I also very little in terms of that, like maybe going to the bathroom a little bit more, but I can't even tell you to be sure, but I always yeah. ate it with meals. And then I titrated up to a thousand and 1500 and have not had any like gastro okay. side effects. So it's Great. Not and uh, the other person I was telling you about, the listener slash guest of, on this podcast, also on metformin, didn't have any side effects either. I think it's about maybe if you're careful and you titrate up properly, maybe it doesn't cause those problems. I don't know. I there's a few. Th I do wonder if you eat a very highly processed starchy diet or diet with a lot of sugar in it, because metformin prevents the absorption of a lot of sugar, and then you know it's got to get rid of it somehow. So it's getting rid of it through your digestive tract. So if you're, I think that, and I don't know how well researched this is, you know, I'm just speaking off of theories here. I think if you're eating a really high starchy diet and a lot of processed carbs and sugar, and I, you know, I don't eat a low carb diet, but my diet is really mostly whole food and I eat dessert, but it's homemade dessert and blah, blah, blah. Right. I think that really increases your risk of severe diarrhea. I also think there's just some people who, for whatever reason, you know, their genetics versus our genetics just don't tolerate it well. You may have a good point, even though it's just a theory that, because I'm very, very low carb. The other person I was telling you about is also, he's a carnivore. So mm, it, right. it might I would be. love to like take somebody who's having really bad side effects and see what happens if we change their diet. But I've never, you know, I've never what an interesting thought. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you I started, say though, yeah. I want to say it did affect me in two ways that I had to make adjustments for. The first is my, I'm really sensitive to caffeine and I could normally drink one cup of coffee and then that's it. And I never touch caffeine throughout the rest of the day. And I was getting like weirdly ill from my cup of coffee for hours. I would just feel like, like I'd had two espressos, you know, and, um, and also my blood sugar was acting weird too in response to my coffee. It's like stuck high. And I, and I forget at what point this was, but it was like within the first month of taking metformin. So I Googled something about like caffeine and metformin and metformin can also, can actually change how quickly you break down caffeine. So it can like kind of delay the breakdown of caffeine. So I became significantly more sensitive to caffeine and had to start drinking decaf. And I actually like put a teensy bit of caffeine in there because I still, you know, my brain's still addicted to caffeine, even if it's a tiny amount and I still want a little caffeine. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, that's very interesting that that happened. Yeah. yeah. You have to really pay attention to your body. I'm at Foreman. When yeah. I started, I started on just the 500 and like, I was dealing with a lot of lows because I hadn't scaled back, back my insulin enough. And then maybe a week or so in. I had to scale my insulin back up again. Cause I don't know if it has diminishing effects like you were talking about, or I have no idea what happens, but you have to really be very careful with it. Yeah. You, yeah. I mean, you have to be comfortable making your own adjustments because you can't wait a month or two for your next doctor's appointment to make those adjustments. So maybe you can talk through, you gave a really good outline in your article about, you know, when you started and then you gave a five month, um, you know, report as well with the changes, which was, I thought, so great and so comprehensive because it really just gave you a good baseline of what you could expect. And obviously everybody's different, but it's a, it's a good roadmap. So maybe you can just kind of recap 
a little bit about what happened from when yeah. you started and you you know, when you titrated up. Yeah. Yeah. I'll pull up the article. I mean, what I remember most clearly is that I really, my long acting dose was up near six, 16 units when I started metformin. And then it, I got it back down to the 10 and 11 with just that thousand milligram a day. Um, and then it started creeping back up. Um, and then I lost about five pounds, I think. I'm looking at my write-up right now. Yeah, so after five months, I was down about five or six pounds. And that I did maintain. So even though my insulin needs were starting to like come back up to like 13 units, my weight stayed around 121, you know, one weight changes by a couple pounds every day. But so I'd say I was in that 121 to 123 range, but I acted quickly in saying to my doctor that I really um, am annoyed that this isn't working still effectively. And I'd like to try Ozempic. And uh, yeah, I want to hear about that next, but let me, yeah, yeah let's just finish the metformin real quick. Cause sure. I think I'm going to head on the same track as you, because I have noticed a decline, like a, you know, diminished efficacy over time. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm just looking at, I mean, I break, it's been a while since I looked at this article, I break it down by month by month. And I took really good notes while I was on it because, you know, I'm always looking to write about things that looks like might find helpful. Looks like you had a really significant reduction in your insulin to carb ratio. I had the same. Yeah. Um, I, I was doing uh one to mine's not as significant as yours. You went from one to one to 10 carbs to one to 30. It said after five months. And then I think I'm at one to, I used to be like around one to nine and now I'm one to 12 or 13. So that's, that, that number hasn't really moved for years. So that's pretty significant. Um, yeah, that's great. I mean, that's, you know, nearly half of the amount of insulin that you were needing. Yeah. Mm. And then I feel like my overall dose, um, used to be around 19, 20 units a day. And now I can even get away with 13, 14 units a day. Sometimes it just depends okay. on what I'm eating. Yep. But it seems like it's pretty similar to the, and this is, only, I only have a month under my belt and now yeah. I do see my insulin needs like creeping up a little bit. And I keep trying to titrate up the metformin to try to counteract that. Yeah. But it sounds like, I mean, th this is another question that I had. And then the, the other guest I was telling you about had is how do you know when you need to titrate up and when do you know when enough is enough? Like, cause I think you can go up to 2000 on metformin 2000 milligrams well, yeah. right yeah so the reason i didn't want to go up more is because i was having this other weird side effect that didn't start until like month 5 and i had to dig on pubmed for studies that could explain this and i found one there's one little study that says um men taking metformin i'm female by the way men taking metformin at the 6 month mark we're showing like um, issues with digesting lactose and becoming lactose intolerant. And I don't eat cheese a ton, or at least I wasn't back then. And I was, I had the most debilitating, I thought it was like severe PMS, like from just I, like, what's going on? You know, I just, debilitating stomach pain. I like curled up in bed, couldn't figure out why my stomach was in so much pain. And it would go on for about two hours, maybe three. And then I'd go to the bathroom, have a pretty traumatic moment on the toilet, <laughs> to be honest. And then I'd feel better. And it was after eating a large amount of cheese, like grilled cheese sandwich or something I made with my kids. And all I could pinpoint was that it was metformin. Um, and so that was around month five or six, and I'm still taking metformin now because my doctor said it works well with Ozempic, but I didn't want to increase the dose. And I was annoyed. I like, okay, if I just increase the dose, am I just eventually going to peter out again, you know, and have the same, um, non efficacy of it or reduced efficacy of it. So that's why I didn't keep increasing. Okay. Yeah. Cause my endo, you know, and I weigh like, you know, mid nineties pounds, um, four eleven, And I was like, is it tied to your weight? You know, the metformin dosage. And she said, no, it's not. It's actually, you can, 
even somebody at your weight can go to 2000 milligrams and somebody who's six foot tall and 200 pounds can be on 2000. She said, it doesn't have anything to do with your weight or your height or anything like that. So I was thinking, well, maybe I'll try to go up to 2000, but I don't know if there's going to be diminishing returns on going from 1500 to 2000, or if I'm just capped out here, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. We all, we all have to experiment (laughs) on our own body. There are some other funny articles. Um, I mean, like real studies published about metformin being the fountain of youth drug. It, and I didn't know that till recently. And so that's part of why I also continued taking it because it really, there's like benefits beyond blood sugar that um, research has found of metformin if you can tolerate taking it. Yeah. Interesting. I hadn't heard that one. Um, but you know, since metformin has been around for a really long time, yeah. I'm sure they have studies, long-term studies of, of people on it for extended periods of time. Has there been any, aside from what you were talking about, the men at the six month mark getting sort of a lactose intolerance issue. Have you seen anything else that is against using metformin on a long-term basis? There, I mean, I remember when I posted this article, people were like, oh, that's a terrible drug. And they're talking about the digestive side effects. Um, metformin and kidney function, I think is it's not recommended for people with any type of impaired kidney function. So that is really the other thing to consider is if you already have um, any signs of diabetic kidney disease, when you do that test at your doctor's the annual exam, you know, a pee sample, um, then metformin might not be appropriate for you and safe for you. But it okay. doesn't cause kidney damage. It just isn't appropriate for people with kidney damage. All right. All right. So, okay. So it sounds like they're the effects, the long-term effects of metformin are not known to be anything that's something. Well, I mean, I haven't, don't, I bet there's tons no. of research demonstrating, yeah. right. But um, I mean, really what you'll find more of is the, this like fountain of youth. I can't get into the details for you because I didn't read them that closely, but it was like, there's just all these, all these theories and research looking at how metformin it helps with longevity and long-term health. It's there. It's weird. It's unrelated to diabetes. Like Harvard Med publishing studies on this. Google it. It's, it's yeah. I'll Google it after we're done. That's I'm I'm very curious about that now. Yeah. Um. So do you know? Uh. I don't know if you've read any studies about this. If if you stop taking metformin, because at a certain point, if I'm getting diminishing effects, and it's just and maybe we can talk about the weight loss aspect a little bit after this, but like, you know, if you have, it slows the digestion. So maybe you don't feel so great on it. If you get off it after you've taken it for a few months or a few years and you're type one, do you know if your blood sugars will then go back to what they were before? I did stop taking it for a few days. Um, I think when I was about to start Ozempic or I had Ozempic and I noticed that my down phenomenon went went up. So I started taking it again. Cause I was annoyed that I had to be so paranoid about eating cheese. So it was like, well, if I don't have to take this, I'm going to go off it. And then I saw like, Oh wait, that was really helping me more than I was giving it credit for, even though it felt that the, this, the benefits had diminished a little when I went off it, I was like, Oh, I'm going to just keep taking that. And I can eat cheese again. So I really don't know what happened at month six. Actually, I have another follow-up question about um, the timing of your dosage. So like you, I was told to take it with food. So I always eat it when I'm in, like I eat, you know, only for a couple hours in the middle of the day around lunchtime. So I was taking it, I'm taking it then, but you said you take it at, you take it at night before you go to bed. So you don't, do you not take it with food or do you just have a little something? I mean, I eat pretty late at night. So, you know, like I eat shortly before going to bed. So it's, there's definitely food in my belly when I take it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I I may experiment and see how it goes if I try it without food, because I do want to try it overnight as well. Although it has helped with my dawn phenomenon anyway, I really have almost no, no dawn phenomenon and a lot of exercise that would bring my blood sugar up is no longer doing that. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've noticed that either as well when you're with your metformin usage. Um, I don't, I, I wouldn't be able to pinpoint that because I can't do intense anaerobic exercise normally. Um, because of my fibro. So I'm not a good experimenter for that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, and everybody's different, obviously. 
Okay. So in terms of the weight loss, uh, I, I don't have any, I don't have any weight to lose. I think I'm like pretty much at the low end of where I want to be. So I haven't lost any weight on metformin. Although I do notice that I, my stomach just feels full. I get full faster. Is that kind of what you experienced? Yeah. A little more satiety and feeling full for sure. Yeah. And is that, you think that is the main reason why you have lost, well, you lost weight over, you no, know, no. you said it was, yeah. No, I think the weight loss is because it's reducing your insulin needs. And when you reduce how much insulin you're on, there's less glucose that you're storing as fat. Okay. All right. That yeah. makes sense too. That makes sense too. Yeah. I guess I never put two and two together with lowering my insulin dosage and actually losing weight, but you're right. The two are correlated. Yeah. I mean, metformin didn't change how I eat. Metformin reduced my insulin needs because it suppresses liver glucose production. It helps you make better use. It makes your cells more receptive to the insulin that you take. So you need less and it, you know, um, prevents the absorption of some of the glucose from what you're eating from the carbs. So all of that leads to needing less insulin, which can lead to weight loss. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and then another question is, and I don't know if you've been able to do any research into this. I've heard there's a difference between the name brand and then generics and where they're manufactured. Do you know anything about like the the difference in drug efficacy or have you seen any of that in your studies? I have not dug into that. I got the generic. It's, it was like $6. Um, and one thing to keep in mind, and most people prescribe it this way now, but you'd want the extended release version. You don't want the normal version that just hits you all at once. And that can really help with the GI side effects. Uh, but I have a, a friend who takes... Um, the brand name version and she pays a lot for that one and they really I, I I don't think it's necessary but I can't say that I've really dug into any comparisons okay. yeah yeah and again these questions are just like if you know great if not don't worry about it and people can research or ask their doctors about it um so there was a point where metformin sort of capped out for you and you went back to your doctor and you asked for ozempic so um, I know Ozempic is a very expensive drug. And also it seems like it's becoming even harder to get with like the Kardashians using it for weight loss and all this yeah. stuff. So yeah. what, how did that conversation go down? And how, how did you find actually getting a prescription for that drug? My primary care tried writing the prescription when I had complained enough and it got rejected and rejected. So he said, go to this endo. And I didn't, I haven't gone to an endo for a long time because I just haven't had the need for one. I'm friends with some of the best diabetes educators on the planet. You know, if I was really having an issue, I couldn't figure out, I could call them up and I have, and thank you to them. Um, and so I got a new endocrinologist, really sweet woman. I asked her, she wrote it. It got approved because of however she wrote it properly. And I explained I'm experiencing insulin resistance that doesn't make sense and weight gain that doesn't make sense and down phenomenon that is getting more and more dramatic. And um, so it got approved very quickly. I'm on the lowest dose you can take, which is 0.25, which is why I haven't struggled with the shortage. One of my best friends is my pharmacist. And she said that the shortage is really in the doses that most people work their way up to, which is like um, the two milligram dose. So I'm on 0.25 and that a lot of people don't even start on that dose. They would start at a higher, they'd start at like 0.75, go up to one, 1.5, two. You have to titrate up slowly again because of GI side effects. And it's introducing hormones to your body that your body has not had present for how many ever, you know, or not had enough of present for however many years you've had type one. So you go to titrate slowly and take it easy. I tried going up to 0.5 and it was just so clearly way too much for my body, not because of any GI side effects, but because I was so sensitive to insulin that I just, I couldn't predict and I couldn't find any rhyme or reason to it. And I was I felt like I was on a roller coaster. I felt like I didn't know anything about diabetes. My blood sugars just felt so crazy that I was like, am I terrible at this? <laughs> like, And once I got that larger dose out of my system and I went back to the 0.25, it was like, oh, this is awesome. 
So I'm a small person. I don't need a lot, right? Of this, it makes sense that the 0.25 works well for me and that I shouldn't really try to make a 0.5 dose work. Um, I do have a friend who there's like 15 clicks her doctor figured out between the 0.25 dose and the 0.5 dose. And so she titrated up slowly between those two tiny doses by doing five clicks every two weeks. If I wanted to try again, getting up to 0.5, I could, but I really don't feel any reason to. Um, so I've been on it for about two months. I lost another five pounds, which I was, I'd say I was lean at 121 and now I'm very lean at 115 ish. Right. Um, so that's cool <laughs> because again, I'm so active that I always was frustrated that I couldn't ever get the scale to budge beyond 120 or below 120, unless I got sick or, you know, when I was in my divorce process and I was like juggling a ton and I didn't have time to eat, I got under 120 then, but that's not sustainable. Right. Um, and so it was frustrating. So it's cool to feel like all the work I put into managing my weight actually pays off. Um, it's brought my Lantus dose down to nine units and from like 11, right? You said down from, yeah, 11, okay. um, cut my insulin needs for meals way down again. Um, I mean, sometimes to a point that's just strange, like just like how little insulin I needed for a meal that had carbs in it. So I feel like I can eat more carbs than I ever let myself eat before. And like even just oatmeal, like I can eat oatmeal and not struggle. And I feel better eating oatmeal. Like it just, I feel like it's, I also feel like when I would eat carbs and I didn't eat low, low carb, right. But I was very particular about my carb choices and I'd save my carbs mostly for dessert and some fruit during the day. And, um, I feel like if I went off that, I'd see the scale start to rise, right? And so now I feel like I can eat carbs without worrying about like all those side effects because I have more of what my body needs in order to manage carbs. So you can actually tell a distinct difference between met what metformin does, what Ozempic does, and then like what the two kind of do together, you think? Or I've is it harder to like Ozempic sort of bifurcate? without metformin, um, but I... So I've never taken Ozempic without metformin, but I really feel that most of these benefits would be plenty visible without metformin. It's a, it's a dramatically more powerful drug than metformin. Um, and it took, I have a friend who says it took her like 24 hours to see the impact of her first injection. You take Ozempic once a week. For me, I see um, even every week still, I see the biggest sensitivity to insulin on Wednesday and I take my dose on Sunday. So I am, for some reason, every Wednesday, I'm the most sensitive to insulin. It's like I can eat ice cream and take one unit of insulin and not need anything else. And it's really weird. Um, does it does it cause lows though? If you don't adjust, it, the drug itself doesn't cause lows, but if you don't reduce your insulin needs and you're getting too much insulin, you're going to have lows. So just like with metformin, you need to very quickly reduce your insulin needs. And, and that impact really continues over the course. So it's like right away, I needed to reduce my insulin needs, but then over time I needed to reduce them more. Um, so the nine has stayed, but I'm taking less for meals. And I'd say within the first month, I lost five pounds. And then over the next month, I very slowly lost a few more pounds Okay, without really trying at all. You know, um, yeah. it does. A lot of people say on a GLP one that you are never hungry. It really suppresses your appetite because it's giving you those hormones that manage appetite and tell you that you're feel that you're full, that you have not had properly present for years. Um, and to me, that is, I still eat my meals. I'm still eating a day's worth of calories. Right. But it's just so easy to eat a little less. It's so easy to feel satisfied. It's, it's just kind of really relieving after, and you don't even, I didn't even know how hungry I felt and was ignoring for 25 years until I started taking Ozempic and was like, wow, this is so nice to not be like resisting hunger all day long. 
Yeah, I guess I, you know, I got diabetes. You got it when you were younger than I was when I got it. I got it when I was 17. So now my, I'm 42 now. So my memory of pre-diabetes is becoming fainter and fainter as time goes on. But mm. I do remember prior to getting diabetes, I wasn't nearly as hungry as I am now. Yeah. Um, and yeah. that's, I never thought of that really. Yeah. It's a good point. It's a, I mean, I think we really underestimate just how hard we work because we are not taking these other hormones. Yeah. And have you noticed, I know you're only two months in on Ozempic and you seem to have struggled when you went up to a little bit of a higher dose. So you do not, unlike metformin, which I feel like, you know, you get that increased, you know, insulin sensitivity for the first week or so that you're on the dose or a higher dose with Ozempic, you haven't noticed any declines in efficacy thus far in your two months. It's been steady. Yeah. Yeah. And I have friends who've been on it much, much longer. Um, and, um, I, you know, I don't have a definitive answer. Um, cause when I say much, much longer, it's still within a year because it's pretty new for type ones to be taking it, but there's so many type ones taking it now. And I'm actually on Monday publishing an article on, um, my story and three other of my friends stories taking a GLP one medication. So there's four different perspectives on or on the experience of it. Oh, good. Well, that one will get linked in the show notes too, because this is your episode won't come out until after that. So that would be perfect. I'll definitely have that included. So, um, I guess, you know, my, my other question is, you know, obviously metformin and it sounds like now Ozempic is becoming a little bit more popular with, in terms of being prescribed type ones. Do you know why, historically these things haven't been prescribed to type ones or why I had to bring it up to my endo versus she brought it up to me. Do you have Uh, any theories on that? uh, Yeah. I mean, lack of knowledge, a lot of endocrinologists, I think don't realize how helpful these can be to, you know, so it depends on your endos experience. It's also just not FDA approved in use of type one. So a lot of endos one again, don't understand how beneficial it could be, but also assume that your insurance won't cover it. And um, I have heard of people, their endo writing it and they just, they try and try and they can't get coverage. But I know so many who've gotten coverage as long as your endocrinologist writes it, the prescription properly. Um, And the FDA approval, what, what I've read somewhere was that they assume type ones will have too many lows on it, which is so dumb because we already have uh, lows don't come from taking insulin period. Lows come from needing so much insulin to do it. Right. So if you have a drug that reduces our insulin needs, then we can take less insulin and manage our, it's so stupid, but there is a clinical trial clinical trial happening right now. And you can find it easily. If you type in clinical trial Ozempic, and it's some, I swear last time I looked at it, it said it was still recruiting. It's like started three years ago. Um, okay. So they are trying to get it FDA approved. And I'm sure the creators of Ozempic are aware that tons of type ones are now trying to take it. Um, it's insane to me that they didn't offer it to us in the first place. Endos might also say to you, oh no, you should try Victoza. That's intended for type one. Victoza helps to, is intended to replace amylin, um, but you have to take it before every meal. And so it's this whole other additional injection. The digestive side side effects can be pretty intense. And because you have to take it so many times a day, it's not this nice steady impact. It's more like a boom. And then, you know, and so it, it's never become popular because it's tedious to take and it's just not as like consistently overarching effective on your blood sugars as a whole. Is Victoza the same thing as Simulin? Because I had a prescription yeah. for that. It is. Okay. Yeah. I never filled it because it was so expensive. And I said, I'm um, not gonna. Yeah. Was Ozempic the way you're the end of that prescribed it to it you? It was not it? expensive for me. It was, it was like not okay. $30. It was no big deal. Okay. Um, yeah. I'm really going to look into that now because that makes a lot of sense. Anything I can do to get that insulin sensitivity increase is like fantastic. Yeah. And I didn't even realize just how much that Dawn phenomenon was really bothering me. And I had just gotten used to it over time, but to yeah. not have it has been incredible. Yeah. 
And you know, a bad dawn phenomenon sets off your whole day on the, the wrong foot, yes. no pun intended, because you end up on a roller coaster because you probably give yourself too much insulin because you're so pissed off that your blood sugar is high. And then yes. you interrupt your fast if you're fasting because you got to eat something. It's just like a whole uh, nightmare. Yeah. And I exercise first thing in the morning. So I was always trying to figure out like, oh, how much is it going to go up? And I want to <laughs> jump rope. And it's like, it's annoying. I still have a little dawn phenomenon that I, I can't. I don't have to take insulin for it until like 7 30, 8 o'clock. Um, so that's hugely helpful, right? Instead of 6 a.m. So I can sleep till seven and not have some crazy hundred point spike. If I want to sleep in on the weekends, that's you know, sleeping in until seven is sleeping for me. And um, so that's really helpful. And instead of needing a whole unit of insulin, I might take literally a quarter unit or less. Like I just pull up just enough to see that there's some in the syringe and I take it. Um, and that's just enough. That's perfect. That sounds like it's had a really positive effect for you. And yeah. for me too, um, I'm just, I have noticed the diminishing effects even just over this month I've been on it, but I think uh, even if it only controls my dawn phenomenon, I'll continue to take it because that's a win yeah. for sure. Because it yeah. sets your whole day off on the, once you read those fountain of youth articles, you will also be like, well, I guess I'll just keep taking it for that reason too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, was there anything else? Actually, I should ask one other question because I would be remiss if I did not, since this isn't a podcast about fasting and you are along, you know, you've been fasting for eight, nine years now, I guess at this point, uh, did you notice any difference in how you were fasting when you started taking metformin and then, and then Ozempic? Um, I mean, they both make it significantly easier to fast in that you're not craving food. This past week, I'll tell you, I don't know why, but this past week I have been so hungry in the mornings and I think it's because I'm eating. I just, it's been really busy and I think I'm eating less at night. I'm like not really eating dinner and I'm just eating like uh, snacks. Like I'm I've almost skipped dinner by accident a couple, but I, then I eat dessert, right? So I'm still missing a meal and I'm waking up so hungry that I haven't been fasting this week and I'm eating eggs and oatmeal with blueberries. And, um, so that's really because of Ozempic, but before this week, it, I found that it was making fasting significantly easier because my cravings for food are just not there. Yeah. I've noticed that too. It definitely has cut down on my appetite by a lot. Yeah. Uh, more than I was expecting. Cause I already had trained myself to, and I, like we talked about with type one, you can never totally train yourself. Cause you o always have some sort of hunger going on in the background just because of yeah. how our bodies work. But it has, you know, I have been able to pay more attention to my satiety signals and I'm just like, I'm pretty full right now. I'm going to stop. And normally I, I would just be power through it, you know, and just continue to eat because, you know, maybe it's emotional yeah. eating too. I don't know, but I don't have that issue as much anymore. Yeah. It, yeah, it's really helpful. And I know people love to pe people who don't know the deeper science of what their body isn't producing, love to turn their nose up at taking a medication that helps manage weight or insulin sensitivity. Like, oh, just get better habits. And like, dude, <laughs> we've got the habits in place. And there's still more that your body is not producing that non-diabetics is. So there shouldn't be shame associated with taking either of these medications. I agree. Uh, is there anything else that we missed that maybe you want to add? I'm just trying to think of the um, experiences my three other people I just interviewed shared. Um, so one of one of my colleagues who takes um, Trulicity, which is also a GLP-1, um, she had intense nausea during intense exercise. And so she couldn't do like CrossFit type classes without getting really, really, really nauseous to the point where she couldn't do the workout. I have not experienced that. I have done some very, um, anaerobic intense karate sparring where I'm, you know, like gasping for breath and I felt fully capable and, and not nauseous. Uh, but so that nausea, it takes a little while to subside with Ozempic or Trulicity. Um, so it's just something to keep in mind. Is Trulicity the same thing as Ozempic or 
it's different, a, right? It's dulaglutide instead of semaglutides. It's okay. technically the same class of drugs, but it is slightly different. And um, I interviewed someone who has been on both and she said Ozempic was significantly better experience for her. Um, okay. So, yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, all right. Well, that is just incredibly helpful. All these things will get linked up in the show notes and, you know, obviously you're a very prolific writer. And so we'll link everywhere that, you know, you're published. You have, I think it's five books. Is that right? Yes. Oh, I have another one coming very okay. soon. Well, tell um, me about it. So early March, I think I'll be able to get this out. It's exercise with type one diabetes. It is a very um, friendly, but science-based guide to learning how to exercise without severe lows and severe highs and understanding what the workout is that you're about to do and how that exercise physiology is going to impact your blood sugar and how to prepare for it. It's called exercise with type one diabetes and it'll be on Amazon in March. That is so, so, so needed because I think exercise is just one of those things that I can, well, actually metformin has helped quite a bit with my, um, like, you know, normally when I would swim, I would go low, but for whatever reason with metformin, if I do it fasted in the morning, I'm, I'm fine. I don't end up low. I don't end up high and pretty steady. But anyway, my point is, is exercise with type one diabetes is, you know, an endless mystery for me and probably a lot of other people. So I'm so glad you wrote that book. Thank you. I'm excited to get it out there because it is definitely one of the hardest things for people with type one. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, Well, you're just such a wealth of knowledge and thank you so much for taking the time to be here with me today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me back, Lucy. Anytime. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, don't forget to rate and review the podcast. And if you're interested in being a guest, please email me at fastlifewithdiabetes at gmail.com. Thanks so much. Have a great day.